Oh, uh, that reminds me. Uh, I think it's actually a 2008 movie. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. maybe double check. Uh, and I hit the record button, just so you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, eight minutes. Let's see. So maybe it came out of festival i couldn't imagine <laughs> what <laughs> what festival <laughs> yeah no you're right april 8th 2008 um but it does say like parentheses 2007 it came out everywhere it came out like worldwide on dvd in 2007 weird came out like it went like straight to video in brazil russia netherlands austria germany australia and all that came out in <clears throat> It says November 2000. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But it doesn't have a theatrical release for those countries. So I don't... Yeah. I do remember it being uh, 2008. Uh, yeah. Or thinking it was 2008. Because I remember the first time uh, uh, I heard about it. I think you told me you saw a TV spot at the Super Bowl. Mm. Or during the Super Bowl. It seems insane that a movie like of that caliber would even get a Super Bowl at now, <laughs> considering how, like, coveted they are. Yeah. Should we get started? Yeah, I guess. Let's uh, do this. Uh, whose turn is it to... I think it's mine, but okay. if you want to do it, you can. Uh, you could do the intro. All right. Hello, and welcome to 2008, a film odyssey. Yeah, you heard that right. It's a special bonus episode. Uh, we're coming at you uh, with a uh, a movie mm-hmm. uh, this week that uh, is <laughs> interesting to talk about. Um, I'm one of your hosts. I'm Dan, and I'm Andrew. And. Uh, Today we're going to be talking 88 minutes. Yeah, 88 minutes from 2008. 2008, that's right. Um, now, the concept of our show is it's pretty basic. We're going through the films of the year 2002 uh, in order. Right. So why why 88 minutes? Why why are we going, why are we breaking the? Uh... If you're asking me, I have no idea. <laughs> I was trying to think of a good reason to uh... Uh, because it's well, it's 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 so weird and stupid that it's worth mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah, um, we we discussed this a little bit last week on mm-hmm. the uh, uh, Count of Monte Cristo episode. Yeah, and then we just decided to do a bonus episode. So this episode's not taking the place of any other episode. It's not even throwing off the schedule. It's just coming out uh, in between episodes. Yeah. Um, and we just uh, we just wanted to talk about 88 Minutes, I yeah. guess. Yeah, you wanted to hear us talk about that movie a little bit more. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's I think I think it's worth watching. I actually yeah, like, I, I also think it, it is worth watching. Yeah. Uh, so you and I watched this a week ago, right? Uh, just sort of on a whim, we uh, we met up and didn't really have a plan to watch anything, really. And then one of us said, uh, "Well, what happened was is we we gathered for our weekly Wednesday movie night, and uh, it was my turn to pick a movie that night, but uh, Travis couldn't make it." 
Mm-hmm. He was unable to attend. Friend of friend of the show, future guest, mm-hmm. uh, frequent frequently referenced guest yeah. Travis. Every episode, probably every episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was unable to make it, so we were thinking about watching something else. What were we going to watch? Oh, the Empty Man. Uh, yeah, we considered The Empty Man, because neither of us, I don't think, have seen it yet. Right. And we both wanted to, but right. it was, I think, a tad long for... Yeah, it was like 2.20, 2.15, something like that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think we needed something a little shorter. Right. So, I don't really know how we arrived <laughs> on 88 Minutes. Uh... Uh, it was because we, I think we saw like a thumbnail for a different Al Pacino movie and then we were like, Hey, what about 88 minutes? That's right. Yeah. We saw, we saw, there's some movie on HBO max, some Al Pacino movie that I've never heard of in my Mm -hmm. entire life. Yeah. Uh, and the hangman, is that what it's called? Yeah. The hangman. And that's like a, that's like a serial killer movie Mm -hmm. where the, uh, serial killer taunts, uh, Al Pacino, who mm-hmm. I assume is some sort of cop or detective, uh, by playing the uh, word game Hangman, mm-hmm. <laughs> which that kind of sounds like a a fun a fun thing to watch as well. Yeah, but uh, we decided to go with eighty eight minutes. Yeah, which I've not seen, but you have, right? Uh, I had seen it. Uh, I rented it when it came out on DVD. Probably, I don't know what that would have been, like late two thousand eight. Yeah. Yeah. And remember it being very bad. Mm-hmm. One of the worst movies that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but you hadn't seen it. No. Uh, mm-hmm. And But you're happy that you watched it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I had a pretty good time with it. I mean, it's, it's a terrible movie. Just awful. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, there are movies that, you know, no matter how bad they are, you know, they, they may have something in them, some sort of charm. Mm-hmm. And this movie was... I don't know, maybe it was just because it's the kind of movie that we don't see as often anymore. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was a fun kind of, I guess, nostalgic watch. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Like, there's a... Uh, it, it has a very dated quality. Like, even back then, when I would see the trailers and the TV spots, thinking, oh, this is even a movie now that we don't really see anymore. Like, in 2008... Like, it seems like something that we would have seen, like, uh, in the late 90s. Yeah, like, totally. in between, like, Kiss the Girls and Bone Collector. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It definitely fits in with those. Um, but, like, it's also sort of way worse than those movies. Even, oh, completely. Even though I don't think those movies are, like, good. But no. it's it's this it's this bizarre attempt at one of those. <laughs> yeah, like, those movies are way more competent, and yeah. uh, they don't seem like they were written by aliens from <laughs> another planet. There were a lot of times where I felt like I was listening to dialogue that was not being spoken by real humans. <laughs> Just no, uh, yeah, like, no feel for human behavior uh, at all. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so should we uh, should we do this like a normal episode? Should we give a quick plot synopsis? Should we just dive in to the beginning of the movie? 
Uh, I guess we can do a quick plot synopsis and then uh, synopsis and then uh, then get into it from yeah. there. Uh, right. So this, like we said, is a serial killer thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a beat the clock suspense film. Right. Uh, it is starring Al Pacino as a, uh, I guess, a celebrity forensic uh, psychologist. He doesn't shout a whole lot in no, this he's, movie. He's pretty quiet, which is yeah. weird because like the, the modern Pacino uh, persona mm-hmm. is very loud. Yeah, right? yells like, a lot. Yeah, and yeah. this is much more, although he's, he's not really very good in the movie, uh, it's much more indebted to like his insomnia performance, which is a lot yeah. more quiet <laughs> because mm-hmm. he's so like tired in yeah. that movie. Um, but it, yeah, it, it, he, he's... I mean, he gets a couple a uh, couple of moments mm-hmm. where where he goes big, but for the most yeah. part, he's he's a little more reserved. Yeah, he's phoning it in. Mm-hmm. So he plays uh, Jack Graham. Jack Graham, celebrity forensic psychologist, mm-hmm. uh, and then the serial killer is played by Neil McDonough, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who he is. Um, well, not personally, but he testified against Neil McDonough's character, which is part of the reason why Neil McDonough was put away for such a long time and then mm-hmm. given the death sentence. Yeah. So, so the movie it it starts with with that, right? Well, no, it opens in uh, 1997, right, with one of the. Uh, Victims of the Seattle Slayer being murdered. Yeah, the Seattle Slayer is mm-hmm. the name of Neil McDonough's like you know media name, mm-hmm. and it's really bad. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible name. It's the not Seattle creative Slayer. at all. <laughs> uh, and we know it's 1997 because the movie fades open to a, a newspaper headline that says Princess Diana killed in car accident. <laughs> right, which which then I think. Uh, made me think of the Robert Pattinson movie, Remember Me, mm-hmm. which yeah. we were talking about that a little bit when we watched it. But mm-hmm. that's a funny movie because that is a movie that gives you no context mm-hmm. for its ending. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm just going to spoil it because it's like a 10, 12-year-old yeah. movie at this point, whatever. But um, that movie, uh, that movie is just kind of a romantic drama or whatever. Yeah. Nicholas Sparks-esque. Yeah, Sparks-esque. And uh, then the end of the movie, Robert Pattinson is in his father, uh, Pierce Brosnan's office, and um, he's just looking at his computer waiting for his dad to come into the office. I don't I don't really know why. I haven't I haven't even seen the movie. I've just (laughs) seen this ending a bunch of times. And um, and then all of a sudden the camera like eventually zooms out at one point and mm-hmm. it's revealed that he's in the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to like his younger sister in a classroom mm-hmm. and the teacher's writing the date, September eleventh, yeah. on the the board. And then it cuts to like a horrified Pierce Brosnan <laughs> and it's over. <laughs> That's the ending it's of a that big movie. Twist involving nine yeah, eleven. A big surprise nine eleven movie. <laughs> So that that was what the uh, the Princess Diana newspaper thing for yeah. context. I, I don't know why they didn't just 
right? Like 1997. Yeah, it could have just said like 1997 and then fade in to the scene. But uh, yeah, it very, very clumsy context clues. Right. Like it, yeah. Because they cut to the newspaper twice in yeah. case you didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it literally fades o- like open to the newspaper and it says Princess Diana dies in car crash. And then it cuts to the characters talking, and then, like, a couple minutes later, it, like, cuts back to the newspaper, and then even zooms in further <laughs> on the date, which says 1997. Right. In case you thought it was, like, a collector's edition newspaper that wasn't. <laughs> yeah, the, di- the director, John Abnett, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of times in this movie where he feels like he thinks he's making a much smarter movie than he's mm-hmm. making. Like, I don't think he realizes how yeah. campy and, and silly it's all going to mm. come, yeah. come across. And uh, what else? Uh, oh, it uh, even it uses the Backstreet Boys in that opening scene. Oh, it does? I don't know. Uh, yet another context clue. So, okay. You know, it's the late 90s. Right. Uh, so, yeah, in that scene, uh, it shows the Seattle Slayer uh, breaking into an apartment and, uh, you know, uh, murdering a woman. Right, right, right. He, like, use, he's... Later it's revealed that he's, like, a scout or whatever, and that's how he knows how to tie knots and stuff. Mm. And so he's, like, using, like, a pulley system and carabiners mm-hmm. and, like, tying tying this woman up. Uh, and then it goes to the courtroom from there, right? He, right. So he, he attacks uh, twins. He kills one of them. One survives. Right. I don't know how she survives. But. Uh, I think the uh, the the cat is pretty involved in that scene, if you remember right. And the cat keeps meowing really loudly. And the cat's outside. And the neighbor is like, would you shut that cat up? <laughs> oh, right. And yeah. Neil McDonough goes to open the window to silence the cat. But then uh, one of the drugged sisters wakes up and screams. So he just takes off. He gets yeah, spooked. Gets spooked. Got it. Yeah. And then, yeah, it fast forwards to the next year at the trial. Right. Yeah. And then uh, Pacino gives his testimony. Mm-hmm. They ask him, do you think that this guy is a serial mm-hmm. killer? Right. Um, which is a strange, strange like, I, I mean, I, I don't know. But, like. He's killed someone already. <laughs> like, he's there for that. Like, does it matter if you think you would do it again? Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, isn't the trial for yeah. the one murder? But anyway. Like, I really don't know why Neil McDonough is so mad about what Al Pacino said. Because right. he didn't say much. He's just like, yeah, this guy pr- will probably kill more people. Right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he he's convicted. Mm-hmm. He's found guilty. And then... Uh, he taunts Jack Graham with uh, a TikTok doc. Yeah. Which ends up being like the signature yeah. Uh, yeah. signature taunting line. Catchphrase. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that... Now, here's my question. Is that in the movie or is that just in the trailer and I can't distinguish <laughs> the difference? Where uh, he like turns in the courtroom and says, TikTok doc. Does that ever happen in the movie, or is that in, only in the trailer? I think it's in the movie. Oh, okay. I think so. Um, I mean, only only one way to find out would yeah. be to watch this sucker again. <laughs> watch it your second time, my third time. <laughs> and I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe. <laughs> well, one day. Well, my, it, I, I might, but um, 
Yeah. I think that happens. I'm pretty sure. It definitely happens in the trailer. Right. But uh, it's odd because how would Neil McDonough have the, like, plan for the rest of this movie already? Yeah. Because he says TikTok doc, which makes no sense in no. 1998 or whenever this trial yeah. is. Because that would only make sense if he knew for a fact that he would be able to pull off every single thing that happens <laughs> in the rest of the movie, yeah. which is impossible. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's clearly a calculated killer, but mm-hmm. that's defying really any mm-hmm. kind of reality and logic. Yeah. Right. So, uh, in the flashback, he uh, he is convicted the Seattle Slayer, and he is sentenced to death, right? Yeah. Uh, and then it uh, it fast-forwards again to present times, uh, which I guess is 2007. The uh, Wikipedia plot synopsis says nine years later. Nine years later. So, so that would be uh, 2006. Yeah. Yeah. So here's another thing about this movie that I read. It was filmed in 2005 and was supposed to be released in 2005. Okay. But then got delayed. Okay. So then that would actually explain why it got DVD releases Mm -hmm. in 2007. Yeah. Because we we were double checking the release date for this movie because... If you look online, everywhere sources it as a 2007 movie. Mm-hmm. But you have to, once you check the actual release dates, it didn't come out until 2008 yeah. uh, in the States. But it did get a bunch of DVD releases. Like, February 2007, it got a Brazilian DVD release. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's like... 14 months before it ended up coming out in theaters. Yeah. That's wild. Um, but that would make sense if it was just this weird project sitting in the can yeah. for two years. Uh, yeah. I can see why it got delayed so many times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it was ready to go by 2005 and just didn't come out until 2008. Right. Um, the thing that blows my mind about this movie the most is that it's obviously this this very bad movie, um, and it ended up sitting around for three years before it got released here in the states, and then when it did, it got you know savaged by critics and like I'm I'll I'll get the box office at the end of the episode, but I'm sure nobody really went to see it. Um, I might disagree with you. I think, really? You think... I think did it, uh, it did... Uh, not great, but I think it did all right. Did it all right? Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, maybe at the time, Pacino was still kind of a draw. But, um... Either way, it had a lot working against it. And the thing that blows my mind is that Pacino would, like, make a movie with John Avnet again <laughs> <Yeah>. the next <laughs> year. <laughs> like, <laughs> the very... Like, this movie came out, and, like, months later, he was like... Sign me up. <laughs> and he did another one. And another he movie. even got uh, Robert De Niro mm-hmm. involved. Yeah. And De Niro, they... Pacino, what more do you need to know? <laughs> that was the the famous uh, marketing. Um, yeah. yeah, for Righteous Kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not a film I've seen, but I know you have. Is yeah, I, uh, I actually thought that you had seen it, but I guess I was wrong. Because I thought you told me how it ended back 
back in the day. I think I knew how it ended, oh, okay. but I don't think I saw it. Yeah, I, I watched... Now I don't even remember how it ends. <laughs> yeah, I watched it during quarantine. Okay. Very bad. <laughs> I would say possibly worse than 88 Minutes. <laughs> well, 88 Minutes, I think... I think the genre stuff in 88 Minutes kind yeah. of, like, makes it compelling. Like, even mm-hmm. when it's clearly, like, extremely stupid. Yeah. Uh, but I think Righteous Kill is... Has that yeah. that that going for it? Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Where are we here in the plot? So we're flashing forward now. We're so in we're two thousand something. Two thousand whatever. Yeah, six um, possibly. He's in his classroom, right? He's lecturing. Uh, I when we see him no, again. I think it uh, it when we finally get to present times, he is in bed, and he's in the bed of a mm. uh, a woman. Uh, That's right. A woman that he had just slept with. Right. Uh, and he gets woken up by an alarm clock, mm-hmm. which uh, is playing that Bubba Sparks song. Mm. Miss okay. uh, Miss New Booty. Yeah, sure. That of course. booty, booty, booty song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. <laughs> Might have to censor that. I don't want to trip any, uh, trip any copyright. <laughs> it, will that trip an I don't alarm? Know. Just I don't, me saying. I don't, I don't know. It's a good, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Well, I won't sing anymore above the sparks. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I mean, that's probably for the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he, uh, he wakes up in the, like in another woman's bed. Yeah. Because he's like kind of this playboy, <laughs> which we'll get into. <laughs> right. Right. I, I mean, and if you've seen Pacino, like in the last, like, I don't know, 15 years, the idea of him playing, like, a Playboy character is mm-hmm. very funny. Because yeah. Pacino has this huge hair these days. He's got... It's clearly a wig of some kind or mm-hmm. extensions or something. It's teased to, like, yeah. high heaven. In, that, in 88 minutes, his hair is out of control. Very big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know who signed off on that, but... Uh, I think that's just. I think Pacino just shows up like that, <laughs> and then and then they don't tell him no. <laughs> I think that's really what it is. <laughs> it's like, are you are you going to wear that? Or I mean, it's up to you. You could leave it. Or I mean, who's going to tell him no? He's the he's the only shot that movie has yeah. at being like a hit. Yeah. So. I mean, and I also think he just, like, wears his own clothing. Because he's always wearing, like, just, like, black leather jackets, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, That's just kind of his look. Right. And, and that's kind of his look in, like, basically everything he's in from, like, what? <laughs> 2000, yeah. like, one onward? Yeah, if you think about, like, heat. Yeah. And insomnia, yeah, he's wearing, like, a leather jacket. I think I think of it, yeah, starting with around insomnia. Because that's... Yeah. That's kind of I'm. I would say Insomnia is like the last really good Pacino performance. Yeah, and that's kind of when when his career like takes a weird shift. Yeah, into more like this kind of territory. Right. But Insomnia, which we'll be talking about on this show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, this makes sense that we uh, we're covering this because we can talk about where uh, this his career goes after insomnia. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is this is important context. Yeah. It all that, fits in. Yeah. Um, okay. So he's in the woman's yeah, bed. A much younger woman. Yeah. 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 And um, the movie kind of has 
Pacino's character exists kind of in an ambiguous age range. Yeah. Like, he's clearly older. Yeah. Like, he's not meant to be, like, young, but mm-hmm. I think the movie treats him like he's younger than Pacino actually is. Like, it was probably written for someone maybe, right. like, 40-ish. Yeah. Like, this would honestly make more sense if it was an Ashley Judd movie that came out yeah. in, like, 1999. Right. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> But, yeah, it was probably meant for somebody, like, a little younger or 20 years younger. Because Pacino, like, while this movie doesn't really have, like, action set pieces and stuff, he is kind of, like, running around town and has to, like, jog and stuff like that. Yeah. And it kind of just looks funny because Pacino is this old old. man with huge hair (laughs) running around (laughs) while, like, cars explode. Diving away from, like, fire trucks and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, by the, like, final confrontation, uh, not skipping ahead, but, like, it just looks completely ridiculous because Mm -hmm. it's Pacino. Mm -hmm. And Pacino, like... He doesn't really work in that context anymore. No. As much as... Definitely not at that point. Yeah, as much as he would like to sort of hold on to whatever, I don't know, the 90s, Mm -hmm. I don't know, but like, I don't know. It's a bizarre choice for him, especially because you, you look at Pacino's career in the 70s and stuff, and he was very like... He's not a... He wasn't a super big performer. Like, in Dog Day Afternoon, he's got, like, the famous, like, Attica shouting scene. But that's, like... That makes sense for the character. And it... Contextually, it makes sense in the story. But, like, then... I don't know, like... Scent of a Woman? When he wins the Oscar? Yeah. And he he kind of has the, like, the hoo stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, when he just... Yeah. He was much more understated, yeah, before that, like, right. in the 70s and yeah. in the 80s. Well, I can't really think of too much of 80s Pacino movies. I mean, nothing I've seen. I know there's, Except, like, Sea of Love and yeah. Cruising. Yeah. Cruising would have been 80, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cruising's a movie I, I kind of want to see. But I also don't have super high expectations for it. You should check it out. Have you you've seen it? Yeah, you should watch it. Okay. Um, yeah, it's uh, Barnes & Noble's doing their Criterion sale right now, and uh, they also have Aero Video half mm-hmm. off. So I went. I actually went to a Barnes & Noble today, uh, as of the day we're recording this, and I picked up the Robert Altman movie, Gosford Park, which I've never seen. Um, and I saw Cruise in there, and I, I thought about it, but I was like, eh, well, I don't, you know, I... I, I, I Try not to buy too many movies I haven't seen just because, especially like Criterion and Arrow stuff is like still mm-hmm. 20 bucks. You yeah. know, it's still even half off, it's kind of pricey. But um, I took the shot on Gosford Park, but I, I, I guess I wasn't willing to take the shot on Cruden. Uh, I think Gosford Park's the better movie. Of <laughs> yeah, the I, I feel pretty confident <laughs> in that one too. Yeah, I yeah. haven't seen it. Gosford Park's a movie I really like. Yeah, I actually, uh, I, I checked your, your rating on it mm-hmm. when, I, when I, I was curious to see. I What I always do when there's a movie I'm interested in, I always go, pull up my letterbox and I just mm-hmm. check what all the people that I follow on letterbox mm-hmm. have given it just to sort of cross-reference because I've sort of curated people that I follow on there whose tastes I think are, like, interesting. Sometimes I don't always agree with, but I, mm-hmm. you know, think that you know their opinion is of note 
So yeah, I, uh, I I checked checked my letterbox to check uh, Gosford Park grades, and I saw yours on there. So. <laughs> what did I give it? Four and a half. You give it four and a half, I think. Yeah, yeah that sounds about right. Mm. I think it's really great. Uh, I always really liked it because uh, I saw it in theaters, which is it's a strange movie to like as a. Yeah, I was gonna say because like when that movie came out. I thought it looked, like, boring, and I had no interest in it. Yeah, that would have been 2001. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Just missed the cutoff. Yeah. Maybe. If if we do an Oscar episode. Yeah, I was going to say, when we get to that point in the year, for was it March, probably, we did Oscars? Mm -hmm. We can do an Oscar special for the 2001 movies. Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll watch it by then, since I own it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've never seen Downton Abbey or any episode, I've but... S- I've seen a lot of Downton Abbey. Uh, it's probably similar to that, maybe? Um, the thing that I've read about the mm-hmm. two, because I, I read someone's review that actually sort of mentioned Downton Abbey specifically, because Julian Fellows Same wrote it. writer, yeah. yeah. Um, is... Gosford Park is a lot more critical of sort of British mm. higher upper society. Sure. Yeah. And Downton Abbey is much more strangely reverential to it, mm. I would say. Um, yeah. Or at least not critical. Yeah. Not as critical. Mm-hmm. Um, so the person who I was reading the review thought it was interesting that it was the same writer because uh, Downton Abbey is, mm-hmm. you know, I would yeah, it's entertaining enough, but it, yeah. it's it's basically just a soap opera. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really challenge and upstairs, um, downstairs soap opera. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Maybe I should watch Down Abbey at some point. I don't know. They're, I I didn't know this until like today, but they're doing a second movie. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I thought that was weird. I I I I can't. How many people are clamoring for another Downton Abbey movie? Uh, I didn't even see the last I don't know. The one movie. My (laughs) mother-in-law? Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I I, I sort of just feel like its moment has passed, you know? I I don't know, yeah. It was on for a while. It was mm -hmm. popular. The movie came out, and it was like... I figured it would be like the Entourage thing, where it would just... (laughs) uh, All right, nobody cares about this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. But I guess the, even the Entourage guys want to make another Entourage movie. and well, that makes sense. Nope. <laughs> yeah. no, no studio wants to actually let them make it, so... <laughs> yeah. Entourage 2. Well, most recently, uh, Doug Ellen, the creator of Entourage, was like whining about cancel culture and mm, stuff which that also makes sense it makes a lot of sense especially if you go back and watch episodes <laughs> of entourage which is like yeah a very um of its time show yeah. very <laughs> yeah. yeah uh all right well should we get back to yeah get back minutes? to 88 minutes uh so we're at the the beginning of the movie <laughs> yeah. uh, we're still in the woman's apartment <laughs> well we can we can move quickly yeah uh yeah. But try and still cover the the funny stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it's here, I think, that he gets a call from his uh, his pal at the Seattle Police Department, Seattle PD, which is uh, played by William Forsythe, right? William Forsythe, yeah. yeah. Star of uh, 
star of well uh, <laughs> co-star yeah co-star of like I don't know uh, uh, what's the Seagal movie he's in uh, Out for Justice Out for Justice mm-hmm. he's the villain uh, he's the villain um, uh, The Rock he plays uh, an FBI agent my personal favorite William Forsyth role is from Deuce Bigelow Male Gigolo mm-hmm. <laughs> where he has the line I got the thinnest dick in the world looks like a pencil uh, yeah, at one point, and then he shows his dick. He shows his dick to a lot of people. So that's another thing that probably doesn't age well about that movie. <laughs> I'm sure like nothing in that movie ages well. Yeah, but uh, what, what's the, help me describe the camera trick they use in Deuce Bigelow whenever he shows his uh, his penis? Like it, it's like a bug's eye view angle from his uh, his zipper, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you never actually see his no no penis, never but show it, yeah. Uh, very interesting camera angle. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm gonna rewatch Deuce Bigelow this week. Uh, you could. Uh, yeah. So William Forsythe's in this movie plays uh, Pacino's cop buddy, mm-hmm. uh, who calls him and tells him that there has been another murder uh, that appears to be done in the same. Uh, style and same M.O. as the Seattle Slayer. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then a few scenes later, we find out that that victim is one of Pacino's former students. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, a bunch of cops and FBI guys are, like, at that at his office, right? Yeah. So he and leaves, then, yeah, he leaves the apartment and he goes to his office. And this is where he gets the milk delivered? Yeah, very. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a few scenes in this movie where the the momentum is just like completely derailed by some some bizarre uh, like dialogue exchange. Right, some some detail that doesn't need to be in there, like Al Pacino asking someone if they want a glass of milk, <laughs> and then him him. Asking, uh, was it Amy Brenneman? Uh, yeah. To, like, bring, bring a round of milks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so he, he gets to his office, and then his, uh, uh, assistant, played by Amy Brenneman, is, uh, like, oh, the, there's somebody in your, uh, conference room. Uh, and it's, uh, a guy from the, uh, uh, what, Attorney General's office? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was his name again? Like uh, Jeff Goober or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Goober, uh, which I thought was really funny. And I looked it up and it's spelled G-U-B-E-R, mm. like in the cast list. Like, yeah. So they, they didn't even just say like, oh, it's Jeff or whatever. <laughs> like he's credited as... Uh, Jeremy Goober. Oh, Jeremy Goober, not Jeff Goober. Yeah. Played by Christopher Redman, who is uh, not an actor I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, me neither. He's in K-19, The Widowmaker, which <laughs> we'll uh, talk about. we will talk about, yeah. um, but I've never seen that movie, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he, he gets to his office and there's various law enforcement officers there. Like there's uh, Mr. Goober. And then Forsyth's there, and then I think a guy from the FBI is there. Yeah. And, uh... They Special ha- Agent Frank Parks. Yeah. <laughs> and they, uh, they 
tell him that one of his former students was one of the was the latest victim of what appears to be the Seattle Slayer. Right. But that doesn't make any sense to Pacino because he knows that the Seattle Slayer is behind bars. Right. Yeah. And then also it's revealed that, like, the night before, he was, like, at a bar with yeah. all of his students. He's partying with his students. Which is weird. Uh-huh. Uh, including the one who died. Who was murdered, yeah. Right. Uh, and in this scene, he also, for some reason, has cookies with him. <laughs> oh, cookies that were given to oh, him. Oh, okay, that's why the milk. Yeah, yeah, cookies that were given to him by the uh, the twin from the beginning of the movie. Right. Because okay. it's like the anniversary of the trial. Yeah, she she stops by on his way into the yeah. office. And um, I, think, I think she stops by because... It's the... Uh, well, it's for sure the day that uh, it's because he's Neil McDonough is going to be executed. Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess it's also the anniversary of something. I don't know why she really brings him cookies on this particular day. Uh, she brings him cookies just so he can ask for milk. Yeah, and then, and then he orders like four milks. For yeah, the t- well, not orders. <laughs> <laughs> he's not at a restaurant, but he asks for like yeah four milks. But like, does the office even have like? Milk. <laughs> I, I mean, when you're a hotshot uh, forensic psychologist, yeah, maybe he maybe he likes milk a lot, so yeah. that's why they have milk at the office. But it's just such a clumsy scene because they're in this conference room, and then I think like a minute is dedicated to him asking each character if they want cookies. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Would you like a cookie?" And William Forsythe's like, "No, I'm okay." <laughs> I mean, Goober, would you like a cookie? Sure. <laughs> and then he, like, requests milk. Right. Uh, yeah, a little too much personality for mm-hmm. for this movie. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think that uh, the script has enough, like, there for them to be able to make this much, like, random bullshit, like, work. Yeah. Right. Because it's, like, just every, like, serial killer thriller trope just blended together. Yeah, I looked up the writer of this when we were watching it, just out of curiosity, because the script is so bad. And, you know, obviously filled with, like, weird details, like the cookie and milk stuff. Um, And this guy, he's not a super prolific uh, writer. He has a few, I guess, interesting credits. Um... He wrote K911, the uh, sequel to K9. One mm-hmm. was it K9? Is it just K9, the first uh, Jim Belushi dog cop movie? Was it called K9PI or is it just called K9? Well, K9PI, I think, is the fourth one. <laughs> I've never seen any of the K9. I know, I know. It's a absurd franchise. Um, but, uh, I didn't know there was four either. Right, yeah. So this guy wrote the second one, and then he did the story, oh, and the teleplay for the four, for the fourth one? Looks like, maybe it's the third one. Either way, this guy's a... A, a canine guy. A canine guy, yeah. He's yeah. deeply indebted to that franchise. He also uh, has a story credit on Hollow Man, the Paul Verhoeven. Mm-hmm movie um 
And then his most interesting credit, which I think he just lives off of now, because he has no credits after this, really, except for one TV credit, which I'll get into in a second. Um, but he wrote the screenplay for the first Fast and the Furious movie. That's right. You said that. Right. And then and then he just gets, like, a, a characters by credit on every other one of those, <laughs> which I assume he gets some money yeah. every time they do one. Um, so he's probably doing all right. I'm sure he's doing just fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then after that, it's a he's. It's like I don't know. He you would think the guy who wrote Fast and the Furious would be able to get better gigs, but his next thing that he writes after that is the direct-to-video sequel to Time Cop, Time Cop <laughs> Two: The Berlin Decision. Okay. Uh, and then. He has a story credit on Hollow Man 2, which is straight to video. And then he writes this. And then he goes to TV and he creates the James Caan show, Las Vegas. Wow. Yeah. He's the creator of that show. And then uh, after that, it's all over. Everything else on his filmography. He wrote a couple episodes for the Knight Rider TV reboot that they did. Mm-hmm. Um but besides that, it's all just Fast and the Furious, like, story credit. Wow. And what's his name again? Gary Scott Thompson. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, not a super talented writer, because the script for the first Fast and the Furious sucks. Yeah. Like, the stuff, the stuff that makes, like, that movie, like, at all compelling and, like, I guess... The reason they made a sequel has nothing to do with, like, what's written in that movie. Right. <laughs> so, uh... Because <laughs> all he really did was, like, uh, he'd seen Point Break, and he yeah. was like, oh, I know how to make this a little yeah. different. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, let's get back to 88 Minutes. <laughs> so, he, uh, uh, Jack Graham... Uh, he has just learned that uh, there is someone who is either copycatting the uh, Seattle Slayer or learns that maybe somebody was working with the Seattle Slayer and is trying to uh, uh, convince people that Neil McDonough's character is innocent or... Uh, Maybe someone else is the Seattle Slayer, right? That yeah. that that Neil McDonough is wrongfully convicted. Yeah, because um, like later in the movie, Neil McDonough's on like MSNBC, like mm-hmm. you know, with like a very like straight lace sort of you know interview, and he's just talking yeah. about how how much the support and prayers of people who believe him mean and stuff like that. Yeah. So he's really playing up his innocence. Right. Because I think every character that we meet in the movie, they are uh, introduced in a way that you are led to think, oh, maybe this person is the killer. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> like, they give menacing glances at the camera. and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're supposed to be on high alert. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's like all this movie is, is just red, red flag after... Yeah. Uh, misdirect yeah Yeah, so um, uh yeah because it's funny because you'd seen this and i hadn't as we established mm -hmm. and like 
I predicted who the killer would be, mm-hmm. and then, like, five minutes later, I changed my mind and predicted a different person, mm-hmm. and that was who it ended up being. Like, it's yeah. very... Once, once you get, like, once you get to that point in the story, it's mm-hmm. very obvious who it is, like, yeah. to you, the uh, the viewer. So, right. yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad twist. Yeah. Uh... So, yeah, after that scene in the boardroom, he goes to his uh, his classroom. He goes to campus. Right. And that's where we meet, like, most of the main characters, right, or the central characters that you're kind of left to determine whether or not they're the, the killer or not. Yeah. 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 And we should mention that uh, the school he teaches at is the University of North Washington. Mm-hmm. <laughs> UNW. <laughs> Uh, not a real school. Uh, was filmed in Vancouver, Canada, yeah. though. So it was filmed on a campus there. Yeah. Is uh, any of actual Seattle used in this movie? It, no. Oh, I, I was, thought maybe like in the, that scene at the end where he um, he takes the cab, that might have been um, like Seattle might have had a cameo. Like that might have been actual Seattle. Right. Um as far as I can tell from everything I was able to look up here, mm-hmm. it just says they filmed in Vancouver. Vancouver. Yeah. I mean, and like Vancouver as a stand-in for Seattle is fine. Yeah. I think that's fine. Uh, Vancouver is a stand-in <laughs> for a lot of yeah. cities, though. That, and most of the time, it's like very noticeable. Yeah, I was going to say, even though it kind of looks like Seattle, that being said, you can always tell when it's Vancouver. Yeah, I, Vancouver is one of the most recognizable cities <laughs> to me as a movie watcher, mm-hmm. just because I've seen it in so mm-hmm. many movies, yeah. and it's always trying to be a different city. Yeah. Which is odd, just like, I don't know, just set it in Vancouver <laughs> for some reason. And we might think, oh, that's weird that this is a Canadian legal <laughs> drama or whatever. But, like, yeah. at least, I don't know, yeah. at least you wouldn't have to pretend that yeah. it's some other city. Yeah, you won't have the thought, like, oh, this is just, this is Vancouver pretending to be right. Paris. It's not as not as bad as uh, Rumble in the Bronx. Right. Vancouver is, is the Bronx. Yeah. And that's, that's really bad in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I said Paris because uh, Vancouver stands in as Paris in uh, Final Destination. Oh, yeah, that's right. Of course, at the end. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, So, circling back to... He's in in his class. Yeah. Uh, We meet some of his sort of uh, star star pupils. Yeah. Uh, Lily Sobieski is one of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Benjamin McKenzie from the OC is yeah. one of them. And then... Uh, Alicia Witt. Yeah, Alicia. Who is his TA. Mm-hmm. Uh, who you would probably know from uh, Urban Legend. Yeah, she's also in, like, the new Twin Peaks, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I actually just, for the first time, watched um, Citizen Ruth early Alexander Payne movie. Yeah. Never seen uh, it. Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's in that. Okay. Um, yeah, I, um, <laughs> when I was, when I was looking up Alicia Witt, like when we were watching this, 
I did see something that I thought was kind of interesting and funny, but she was in, not only is she in the new Twin Peaks from like 2017, mm-hmm. but um, she was also in the 1984 Dune, like as a child. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She plays uh, Aaliyah Atreides. Um, but yeah, uh, which is, so that's all. not a character in the new Dune. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. So it all comes together, sort of. Yeah, I wonder, did she just, like, keep in touch with, with David Lynch for, maybe. like, her whole life? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, she's his TA. Yeah, she's, and, like, lecturing when he gets there. Right, right like, she's taking over for him because he's running late. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and later in the movie, she's, uh, we learn that she's into... She's into Pacino. She's got a thing for him. Yeah, of course. Like, it, all the young ladies in this movie. Yeah, we we talked about this uh, Clint Eastwood movie, True Crime, <laughs> where all these younger women throw themselves at, like, a very grizzled and old Clint Eastwood in that movie. Yeah. And it's pretty laughable. Um, there's, like, two reasons to watch that movie, and mm-hmm. that's, like, one of them. Yeah. The other one is Speed Zoo. Speed Zoo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just search it on YouTube. You'll probably find Andrew's video on there. Um, but yeah, that reminded me of that. The yeah, the just kind of just kind of these these women inexplicably very into this like women in their twenties really into a, a senior citizen for no no real <laughs> a guy, reason. A guy wearing like oversized black leather <laughs> jackets with like hair that's like teased three inches high. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, every woman in this movie is kind of into Pacino. Yeah, you at least get the idea whether or not it's, like, genuine interest, but, like, some of them kind of play it up, like mm-hmm. Lily Sobieski does a little bit, but, um, yeah, it's it's a bizarre thing for us, the audience, to yeah. just accept, like, watching this. You're just like, well, he's a sex pot, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Horn dog, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, That's part of what makes me think that the character was written for someone much younger. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think who would who would be somebody that would be in a movie like this around this time. Yeah, uh, or in 2008, maybe someone like Clooney would have been like ideal. Yeah. I was gonna say like maybe Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, someone like that. Yeah. Someone who had a reputation for being handsome. They're a little mm-hmm. older now, mm-hmm. but, you know, still handsome. Yeah. But Pacino is <laughs> is like a generation further than both yeah. of those guys. Yeah. Right. Maybe then some. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Pacino's pretty old. Yeah. He's an old guy in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, he's old. Yeah. Uh... So, yeah, he's, at this point, he's in his classroom, and we meet all of his students, and, uh, he, uh, this is where he, uh, he gets a call, right? He gets Mm -hmm. the phone call, um, that, from the, uh, uh, from a killer. Right. They're using, like, the, like, voice changer. Yeah, voice changer. And, uh, the person on the other, uh, other line is taunting. Pacino and saying, oh, you've got 88 minutes to live. Mm-hmm. Tick-tock, Doc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which he's spooked by because the 88 minutes thing has personal significance, which I think we learn, like, 
in the final act. Yeah, yeah. right. They don't tell us for a while. Yeah. Um, and so he, like, freaks out mm-hmm. in the middle of his classroom. Yeah. He's, like, trying to continue his lecture after yeah. the call, but then... He sees, like, one of his students on his phone, yeah. like, looking at sports scores. Yeah. And he's like, let me see your phone. He, like, thinks that that guy made the call from the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> Why just this this guy? Yeah. And he's like, give me your phone. And then he sees a, a, a he, man clad in leathers. Here we go. We'll, yeah. We'll find out more, more about later. I think our favorite character in the movie, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, this is important. So he, uh, there's all these these students in his classroom that uh, that could be the potential caller. Yeah, that he thinks, oh, maybe this person is the person calling me because the camera zooms in on each of them, and they all look, and a they little all like they're up to something. Yeah, they all look suspicious. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, for like all but one of them. <laughs> as yeah, we find out. Uh, but then he sees someone lurking in the. Uh, like, uh, up near the door of the classroom. Yeah, because it's like a big lecture hall. It's a big lecture hall. So, yeah. up in the shadows at the top of the lecture hall. Yeah. Uh, wearing all leather. <laughs> and we le- we later learn who this character is. I'll let <laughs> yeah. you say his name first. <laughs> it's Guy LaForge, baby. Yeah, it's Guy LaForge. Uh, so he he sees this character and he doesn't know who this guy is and I think he he runs after him right like he kind of moved towards him and then He's Guy like, LaForge runs out into the hallway and then he kind of chases him a little bit into the hallway yeah and yeah. then and then he can't he he can't he loses he track loses of him, him yeah and then he goes back into the classroom and at this point someone calls him the bomb threat. Yeah. So yeah. Also, all the other students at this point learn about the uh, the student who was murdered. Oh right. Of yeah. course. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then yeah, somebody calls in a bomb threat, and then <laughs> the dean just walks in. Yeah. She informed <laughs> the dean of this college, who's played by Deborah Cara Unger from like the game, mm-hmm. walks in and just says, "Oh, someone called in a bomb threat. You guys got to evacuate." Which does not feel like the way that news would be delivered. No. <laughs> I don't think the dean would make it, like, a personal, like, mission <laughs> for her to go classroom to classroom at her school. Yeah. Um, and, and she's even in- introduced in a way that uh, you're you're suspicious of her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the it's going for the, like, head on a swivel thing like oh anyone could be yeah. on this any person i encounter yeah and so pacino's just meant to be this like super nervous yeah. like guy because right away pacino was like well where were you last night mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right yeah so yeah a bomb threat is called and everybody has to evacuate the classroom and the campus and this is the part that i think is very funny right. and that is where uh he's uh He's leaving his classroom, and he's on the phone with uh, his assistant, Amy Brenneman, and he's like, do a background check on all my students or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then at the corner of his eye, he sees Guy LaForge, <laughs> who he had moments earlier yeah. Yeah. just chased yeah. out of his classroom and was determined to catch him. And then he just, all of a sudden, for some reason, doesn't care. He's just <laughs> like, who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, it's like he brushes it off. He, it's like he doesn't recognize him from the previous scene. But yeah, like, 
he clearly fits the M.O. <laughs> of the guy you just chased out of your classroom. <laughs> he's wearing all leather. Yeah, he's clad in leathers. Yeah. Which, just like, who is that guy? <laughs> he glances at him, too. It's not even like he walks by and Pacino doesn't notice. That yeah. would have made sense if yeah. he, like, walks behind him and Pacino's on his phone mm-hmm. um, giving a shocking amount of orders to mm-hmm. Amy Brenneman. Yeah. Who has to do so much research and stuff <laughs> for Pacino over the course yeah. of this movie. Um, yeah, he, he looks at him and yeah. then just goes back to what he was doing. Yeah. He just keeps talking to Amy Brenneman. Right. Yeah. Uh, now we should mention too, that when he gets the first phone call from the killer, mm -hmm. the rest of the movie, even though it never feels like it is supposed to be real time, 88 minutes. Yeah. Till the end. Maybe it is somehow, but like the passage of time never makes, it never feels right. Cause he's like, uh, He'll, be, he'll like look at his watch and he'll be like, "Oh, it's ten fifteen and it'll feel like uh, like just a few minutes earlier, like several minutes have passed. I think even in the scene where he's on the phone with Amy Brenneman outside the school, like mm-hmm. after they've been evacuated, he says something like two minutes ago. Yeah, and it was like that was like five minutes of screen time right. at least, <laughs> and this doesn't feel like this would have just happened. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah, he's able to get really far. He, he travels a yeah. lot of ground. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if 24 was a little bit of an influence on this. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could totally see that. Yeah. Because I think even the, the like, font is that, like, sort yeah. of digital clock font, yeah. which 24 had. Right. At uh, least maybe in one of the trailers or something. Yeah. Right, so the bomb threat is just called, and then then what happens in the movie? Then he... Um, well, his TA, Alicia Witt's character, offers to, like, help, right? Yeah. Or does he... He, go, he goes to his car in the parking structure? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then after that, he goes in back into his classroom... <laughs> And finds the thing on the overhead projector? No, I think that happens before the evacuation. I think, like, Deborah Cara Unger is in that scene, and she's like, what was on your overhead? That's right. Yeah. And then and then they, like, leave the classroom, and then he sees Guy LaForge. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, I think he finds that his car has been vandalized. Right. His Porsche. Yeah. Yeah. Porsche. And Porsche. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then, then he meets his, uh, TA, she offers to help find the killer. Yeah. For some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also what I think what, at this point, what <laughs> he, he like gives her the keys to his car and she's oh, right. like, go get, he says like, go get my car and pull it around <laughs> front in 10 minutes. Yeah. And then at this point. I don't know what he does. He well, I mean, I know what happens, but I don't know what he's doing in the mm-hmm. ten minutes. Like what what his goal is. Mm-hmm. But he like finds Lily Sobieski, right? And she's been attacked. Yeah. So it's this section of the movie is him just walking around the campus. Yeah. Like uh, and making phone calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he at one point. So he's all right. So the classroom is evacuated. He's walking around the campus. He sees Guy LaForge, 
He's talking to Amy Brenneman. And then he goes to his car in the parking structure, sees that it's been vandalized. And then he's walking down the stairwell of the parking structure and he breaks his phone. He drops his phone. <laughs> yeah, that got, a, that got a good laugh when, yeah. when he drops his phone. Yeah. She's like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and, then, and then, yeah, then he sees one of his students, Lily Sobieski. She's, she's uh, been attacked. Yeah, she says that she's been attacked by a man in a leather jacket. Right, which, again, fits the guy LaForge. Yeah description yeah and so he like tells her to just wait there or no he tells her to call campus security yeah right? call Sam- campus security and i'll handle this and then he uh he starts he runs around running around the parking structure like a madman going up to people that kind of fit that description He's like, let me see your hands yeah <laughs> like he just runs up to that guy in the car and yeah. he's like i'm a I'm a forensic <laughs> psychologist. Open up. The guy like the guy like flips him off. And yeah. He's like, all right. <laughs> yeah. You can go. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he just like goes up to random people and asks them, you know, if to see their hands. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, and I can't remember if this happened before or after that, but he uh, he runs into Alicia Witt again and asks for her phone. Well, I think, so, I think he goes with Lily Sobieski to the campus police. Then he meets with that one campus police officer. Yeah, who, who a character we meet in one scene, and even that guy we're, like, led to believe might be the killer. Right, yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, you're, like, thinking that this scene must have some importance, but it doesn't. No. Because that character never returns. Um, and then at this point... This is the ten minutes that mm-hmm. has passed. Yeah. Uh, and Meanwhile, so much has happened yeah. in this ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, because, like, I don't know if anyone's ever been on any college campus, but, like, him going from the parking structure to campus security, and he's just going all around yeah. the school, um, and all of this is just happening, like, in, <laughs> in, like, no time at all. Yeah. So he has the meeting with the campus security guy, and then he goes back out front. Because that's when Alicia Witt returns with his car. Because yeah. he said, meet, meet him out front in ten yeah. minutes. Right. And then that's when he gets her phone, right? Yeah. And then even at some point in there, he also runs into uh, Ben McKenzie, right? On his motorcycle. Yeah. Um, in the parking structure. Yeah. Uh, ben McKenzie's like asking him about evidence or something. like. He <laughs> yeah, he's bringing up the... Uh, the Seattle Slayer case, and uh, he thinks the evidence was kind of thin. And, right. Yeah, he was like, well, maybe you were wrong, Dr. Graham. Right. About this. This is, again, more misdirect. Yeah, so we think, oh, thing. maybe Ben McKenzie's our right. man. Yeah. Terrible actor, Ben McKenzie. <laughs> uh, as uh, someone who has just recently watched, like, all four seasons of the OC. Yeah. Uh... And then, uh, after that, is that pretty much when, uh, we get into the section of the movie where it's him and Alicia Witt driving around town? They go to his condo. It's the next part, right? They, they go to his place or they go to, yeah, you're right. They do go to his place. Yeah. Uh, because that's the scene where, uh, they run into the man at the front desk. 
yeah, yeah. So there's this actor in this movie that <laughs> that, in my opinion, gives was, the performance of the film. Absolutely. The, <laughs> he looks just like Ethan Hawke. He's definitely like got that like. Oh, if I were only in the right place at the right time, I would have been. I would have been as famous as Ethan Hawke kind of vibe. And um, he plays the, the like, concierge of his yeah. apartment building or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> he's not the normal door guy. The, the normal door person. No, he's, like, uh, he's like a substitute for Which, the... again, more misdirect. Yeah, because we're meant to think, oh, maybe even this guy, who we just met now, maybe <laughs> yeah. he is the Seattle Slayer or the Seattle Slayer copycat or right. whatever. Right, because it's not the normal door doorman yeah. so like oh and his behavior is insane <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, okay so let's let's, let's do a back quick rundown up. of this scene because he like he's like oh yeah whoever it is is out sick and then um then he tells him about someone yeah he was like oh somebody came by looking for you Doctor Doctor Graham. He was clad in leathers. <laughs> it's an actual line of dialogue that he says, or he was dressed in. He leathers. was dressed in leathers. Leathers. <laughs> in, instead of saying, uh, uh, "Yeah, a guy in a leather jacket," he was like, <laughs> "He was dressed in leathers." Sir. Right, and like I think, I think at this point, Alicia Witt realizes that it was her boyfriend her ex-boyfriend who's like stalking her right so this is where we learn that the guy that's been lurking around dressed in leathers is who he is we learn he's guy laforge and he is her (laughs) ex-boyfriend yeah he has nothing to do with the plot yeah i mean or the central plot no he is very protective of alicia witt or something who? They they like he's stalking her, but they try and make it seem like he's not actually really a bad guy, yeah, or whatever. But like clearly he's stalking her, which I don't really get why in a movie like this where every single character we meet were led to believe could potentially be the killer, they have to bring in another character who has nothing to do with the central plot, <laughs> just is by coincidence involved in this this situation because he knows nothing about the seattle slayer right he's just there protecting his uh, ex-girlfriend right right he like thinks something might be wrong which is why she's with jack graham like and he's worried about her or whatever yeah um yeah but the the back to the door guy because Mm -hmm. he tells them this and then like they're, like, walking away, uh-huh. and the guy kind of, like, saunters, I, is the best he, way to describe it. I, how would you describe I, what, I what wish, he does? Uh, I wish there was a camera right well, here. Well, I'm thinking, like, I may put this on our Instagram, just that <laughs> scene or something, because uh, it's such an insane scene. I, it's hard to describe what he does. He looks very suspicious. Yeah. Like they like he looks at Alicia Witt and Pacino walking away and he almost like uh, uh like pouts at the camera and <laughs> yeah. and then just makes like uh like uh eyes like he's hiding something and then he ducks behind the wall. 
Uh, and that behavior yeah. obviously makes no sense because this guy is totally innocent. He's right. not a murderer. He's, I think he's just he, a weird guy. He's just a weird door guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who really is there just filling in for whoever was sick. Um, interesting note about this movie. I mean, I guess it's not that interesting, mm-hmm. but... Uh, this guy, the guy that plays the door guy, Michael Eklund, he's a Canadian actor mm-hmm. who still works. He's actually in that new, like, Scott Cooper movie, Antlers, that just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I, I guess it's of note. He, he's in a bunch of stuff, but he's also in Canine P.I. Oh. So written by the same writer. So I don't know if there's a connection. Like, I don't know if... Just coincidence, but uh, yeah, he's in he's in that movie as well. What's the actor's name again? Michael Eklund. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely looks like Ethan Hawke. I would say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but uh, oh, we got to get Eklund in this. Canadian Canadian Ethan Hawke. He's from Saskatoon. <laughs> he's our doorman. Yeah. So, then they go upstairs, right? Yeah, to his apartment. Right. Pacino's apartment. Yeah, because they're in the lobby with the mm-hmm. door guy, and then they go upstairs. Yeah. And then, uh, that's when he, like, gets the package, and it's the disc, the audio recording, right? Yeah, he, uh, he gets a package sent to his apartment, which is a recording, uh, that they, did they listen to it or, yeah, Pacino listens to it, right? Uh, no, they both do. Okay. I think she, Alicia Witt hears it. And then Pacino says, like, there's only two copies. One's the cops and then the other one's yeah. locked in my... Because he knows state. right away what it is. Right. And it is, uh, a recording of his, his little sister being murdered. Right. Years. Like tortured. Yeah. yeah. Years, years ago. Right. Uh, is did he say like, oh, that's why I decided to become a like a forensic cop, or is that what like led him to? Uh that that would that sounds right. Yeah. I don't know for sure. If they didn't write that, that would make sense for. It'd be, <laughs> probably be better than whatever they did, right? Yeah. If, if it's not, yeah. So uh, yeah, we learned that Pacino's character, uh, his sister, was murdered by a serial killer a long time ago. Yeah. And. Right. Uh, a very um, elaborate serial killer, I guess, that recorded his victims being tortured. Right, and then that's the significance of 88 minutes, yeah. right? because it took 88 minutes for his little sister to be killed. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of the grimmest this movie ever gets, because it, you know, it's <laughs> like, for a thing about serial killers, like, mm-hmm. it's pretty, like, it's all pretty, like, clean. Like, Yeah, it's uh, yeah. just Pacino running around yeah. Vancouver <laughs> yeah. making phone calls. And it's, I, I don't know, this probably is, is this rated PG-13? No, it's rated R. R. Okay, yeah, maybe because of some of the stuff at the end. Well, I think it's rated R because there's so much talk about Al Pacino's character's semen in this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My DNA is all over the place. <laughs> Possibly the best line of this movie. <laughs> My DNA. I think you do the better Pacino than I do, but uh, where he says, My DNA is all over this place. <laughs> My DNA is all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> his character Seaman plays a very big yeah, that's, part that's in right. this movie. Yeah. 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 Of 
course. Um, we're getting ahead yeah. ourselves. Yeah, so they, they listen to the, the recording. Mm-hmm. She learns a little bit about his past. Yeah. Uh, and then at this point, Guy LaForge knocks on the door. Yes, With Guy LaForge gun. knocks on the door. Uh, I don't know if he has a gun, but uh, Alicia Witt has a gun, right? And she's like, oh, I might need to protect you. Yeah, because she says her dad's a gun nut and wants her to carry, carry a gun. Yeah, you know? And, um, yeah, I think Guy LaForge does have a gun, though. Because yeah, maybe he's he worried something's happening to her right. inside. Yeah. Uh, and then the door, somebody opens the door. Right, and then he gets killed. Yeah, there's like behind. another fake out because because he gets shot from behind right. by the real killer. Right, he's yeah. like wearing like a motorcycle helmet. Yeah, yeah. Which is another Ben McKenzie fake out. Or, yeah, we well, think we it, don't know. We don't know at this point. We don't know that it's a fake out. But, right. Yeah. yeah, because Ben McKenzie's on the motorcycle. Right. Yeah. Uh, He's the only other character who rides a motorcycle. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be him. Because I, yeah. I think that was my initial yeah. my initial prediction. is like, oh, it's him. And then when you kind of stop and think about... I mean, I guess this is a good time as any because nobody cares really about the spoilers. But, like, mm-hmm. the Lily Sobieski, like, oh, I was assaulted by someone in the parking garage. And then mm-hmm. he doesn't see anybody that really sounds like that. Yeah. It's, like, very obvious that... She's like tricking him, or yeah. Something. Yeah, so yeah, that's the spoiler, I guess. That it turns out at the end, she is the killer, right? Yeah. Right, but but I think like if you watch the movie and you see that scene, you're just like, oh, yeah, she's clearly up to something, yeah. She's, I mean, either that or it's just another one of the scenes where the motivation makes no sense, which yeah. is also possible. Like, if nothing ever happened with that. I would not have been surprised. Like, this yeah. movie is so poorly written. Yeah. But it is, it actually is kind of hard, I think, to figure out who the killer is, only because that I don't think they really care if you rewatch this movie, if it makes no sense upon rewatch. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, it doesn't really, it doesn't really give too much of a damn about actually, like, tying up all the loose ends and yeah. threads and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Guy LaForge is shot. He's killed. Mm-hmm. Then, what, like, the fire alarm goes off, right? Oh, in the apartment complex. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then, so the, the shooter, like, flees? And then is that when the car bomb goes off? Right. So, uh... Yeah, that's right, because he yeah. goes outside. Yeah, they all... Everybody has to evacuate the building. Everybody's yeah. outside. And Pacino's holding a gun. And then some lady sees that Pacino's holding a gun, and she's like, he's got a gun! And then the cops start to move in on him. Mm-hmm. And then the movie... Like, the this scene doesn't really make a whole lot of spatial sense, because I'm not really sure how <laughs> he gets away from that. Yeah. Like, I, like the cops start to swarm in on him because he's got a gun. Yeah. And then he just kind of somehow slips away. And he gets to his car. And he gets to his car. 
And then the car bomb goes off. And then the car bomb goes <laughs> off. <laughs> you might, if you've never seen this movie and you're just listening to us describe it, you might just be like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? But that's kind of like how it feels when you're watching it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, like, never, you never really get the sense that this is like a real world that's like lived no, in. No, it's kind of like a dream. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a dream. Uh uh, <laughs> so the, the next part is one of, one of the funnier like details of the movie to me. But when he rents the cab, yeah. So his car has been blown up. <laughs> yeah. So he he's still traveling with Alicia Witt, right? At I this don't... point, yeah. And uh, they come, they see a cab, and they they like get in the cab, and Pacino is like, "Let me rent the cab," or is that what he says? He was like. Uh, he offers him a hundred bucks to let him drive the cab. Yeah, he was like, let me like drive the cab. or whatever. Yeah. And the guy just <laughs> sits in the back seat. And he doesn't speak again until the very last, like, when Pacino finally is done with the cab. Yeah. Like, but he just sits there and he's just, like, blurry in the background. Yeah. And he's just like, there's that guy. Yeah. That... That detail doesn't make any sense, really. Like, why not just, like, let them have, a, like, an extra car? Like, maybe Alicia Witt's car or something. Right. Instead, he has to pay a cab driver to let him drive his cab around. Right. And let the cab driver sit in the back seat. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, it would have made more sense if they did the collateral thing. They're like... I'm going to hire you. Can you drive me yeah. to the places I need to go in this time frame? Yeah. And then they could have made the cabbie, like, a character. Yeah. For a little bit. Like, yeah. And he could have been maybe interesting or whatever. But instead, the guy just sits there in the background. He's like, oh, I'll sit in the back. <laughs> and he doesn't speak. <laughs> and uh, he's always there, just out of focus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so what, their first, their first stop is... The lady's apartment from the night before, right? Right. So he... Where is what? DNA? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, refresh my memory. Why do they go to her apartment? Like, the apartment of the lady from the beginning of the movie who he slept with um, after they left the bar. Why, why did they choose to go there? Does he have to get something that he left there? I don't remember, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Uh, Does he... Uh, does he get a phone call from Amy Brenneman learning that she is involved somehow? Oh, it's that he finds out she was a sex worker who was hired yeah. to have sex with yeah. him. Yeah, that he learns from Amy Brenneman. Right, and yeah. so then I think he wants to go, like... Ask her questions. Right, yeah. yeah. So they go to her apartment, and they go in and discover that she has been killed... Right. By what looks like the Seattle Slayer, because it's done... In that style. That style. She's suspended from the ceiling. Um, and, uh... And then what happens after that? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they go outside, and, uh... Oh, this is the best part of the film. <laughs> the DNA part? <laughs> yeah, this is where... Uh, William Forsythe. He runs back. into William Forsythe, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, William Forsythe explains to Pacino's character that uh, his uh, uh, fingerprints were found at the murder victim 
murder victim's apartment from the night before. And then, uh, and then Pacino <laughs> tries to explain to him how that happened. And right. he says, well, what you're going to find is that, <laughs> that, uh, you will probably find my semen in that murder victim because my semen has been extracted from uh, this murder victim over here in this apartment. Right. uh, Who I did sleep with last night. Meanwhile, you're going to find my DNA all over that apartment. He's so gross. (laughs) My DNA is all over this place. My DNA is all over it. Uh, Yeah, and he he explains this so matter-of-factly. Yeah. Where he's, like, talking about it like it's the most obvious setup in the world. Obviously, they took my (laughs) semen from her vaginal cavity. Yeah. Transported across town. <laughs> yeah. William Forsyth is looking at him like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's <laughs> like, like, you've lost it. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm making perfect sense here. Yeah, so he basically explains what the killer has has done to frame him at this point. And then Forsyth's like, I'm going to take you in. You're, you're a wanted man. Your DNA is all over this town. <laughs> you, it looks clearly like you're the killer here. I'm going to arrest you. And then Pacino's like, no, I need you to give me more time. I have to figure this out to untangle this. Right. And at some point in here, he gets a call from the dean, Deborah Carr Unger. Right. Tells him to meet meet her at an office building. Yeah. And this is, again, another misdirect where you're like, oh, yeah, okay, so she's <laughs> supposed to be the killer. like, yeah. Or she's in on it somehow. That's what you're meant to think. Yeah, because she says that she stole the tape of right. his uh, sister's murder from his office yeah. and sent it to him. And then I think what, like, Amy Brenneman goes to the apartment of the murdered woman <laughs> And then she, like, somehow, through her research, figures out the, that she thinks Lauren stole the tape. Oh, yeah, like, the logs or whatever. Yeah. I don't remember. But, like, she figures out that Lauren is the one that stole the and recording. Lauren is Lily, Lily Sobieski. Sobieski yeah, because right. Lily Sobieski seduced her. Right. Yo, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That, yeah, I totally forgot about that. There's, like, a flashback to, like, a lesbian tryst. Yeah, uh, because between, Amy Brenneman's character is, right. is gay. Right, which she says in a scene because... Uh, only because of this. He, well, uh, ultimately, only because yeah, of this. Right, yeah. But I think, like, uh, Pacino uh, said something earlier on in the movie, like... You know, I should have asked you to marry me a long time ago, or something like that. And oh, she's right. like, "Well, that wouldn't work because I'm gay, right?" Uh, or something like that. Yeah, that's not verbatim. Yeah, I, that's the gist. Of yeah, it. yeah. Um, so yeah, she thinks Lauren stole the tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pacino like convinces William Forsyth to what, like, give him like forty minutes or thirty minutes. Or yeah, whatever. he's like, just give me more time. Yeah. <laughs> after, after, like, listen, listen, they took my semen out of her cavity. <laughs> it just sounds insane. 
She had a great ass, <laughs> and your head was all the way up it. <laughs> um, I love Pacino when he when he does stuff like this. Yeah, and the the like. You're gonna find my DNA all <laughs> over that place. <laughs> In this scene in particular, he he goes big. Yeah, yeah he dials he, it up. He does because he he's like a you know kind of a desperate man. Yeah, trying to figure this all out, piece it all together. Um. <laughs> DNA. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he convinces Forsyth to let him go, give him more time to solve the puzzle. Uh, and yeah, Deborah Carr Unger uh, is forced to be, or is forced to act like she is the, the killer and leads him to, back to the campus. Right. And he, some, some like prison visitation records or something and figures out that like Lily Sobieski has like a pseudonym. And yeah. She's been like visiting with as like an attorney, right? Right. Or just oh, like yeah, a she is or attorney. just like a prison groupie or is she an attorney? No, she is an attorney because okay. in the like lecture scene in the beginning of the movie, he says, like, you're gonna go across the street to law school. Yeah. And she's like, Oh, oh I've, already I've already been, been there. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like already a lawyer mm-hmm. and because she's like legally a lawyer she can represent yeah um neil mcdonough mm-hmm. even though she's like an obsessed fan or whatever yeah, yeah so she's his lawyer which gives her um basically like unlimited access to yeah. him whenever she wants right yeah yeah so at this point i think pacino has pieced it together yeah. even though i think the audience doesn't know because he was just, he's just like, oh, I think I know who this is. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then. We know that Lauren is suspicious mm-hmm. because of the, um, because of Amy Brenneman's theory that she stole the tape. Yeah. From their, like, affair. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we don't know the full, like, extent of it. Yeah. And then, uh, Pacino returns to the campus, uh, and, uh. Deborah Carr Unger tells him to meet her in, like, the, uh, what building is that? That's, like, the, uh, the main hall, I guess? Yeah, it looks like some sort of, like, administration building or something. Like, um, and they're just, like, upstairs at the top. Mm. And, uh, like, there's more of the, like, ropes and pulley system. Yeah. Because, uh... Like, uh, the killer has, I don't, I don't remember when this actually happens. I'm now I'm just purely off memory, but the killer has Alicia Witt's character like strung up, right? Yeah. And then also in this part, he has, or the killer has Alicia Witt call Pacino and also pretend to be the killer. Ah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we have two Mr. X from the phone calls. And then they're both up there, kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Deborah Carr Unger's, like, on a chair, and then Alicia Witt's, like, upside down. Or maybe... Vice Maybe it's the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So they are both being held captive by the real killer, who is Lily Sobieski. Right. Yeah. Uh, and she basically just lays out the whole, uh, the whole <laughs> plot here. Right, yeah. And then, uh... Like, she's trying to get Pacino to confess, and then he uses, uh-huh. like, his, like, 
psychologist powers <laughs> on her. And she, yeah. like, she, like, gives the whole plan. Yeah. And at this point, Forsyth shows up and shoots her. Yeah, so right she, behind. yeah, she explains that, uh, she, uh, she went to Neil McDonough's character first as, like, a, a groupie, right? Mm-hmm. And then she became his attorney, and they worked out this scheme to, uh, make it seem like the Seattle Slayer was still at large and, right. you know, claiming victims, uh, so that therefore Neil McDonough's character couldn't be the Seattle Slayer, right? Uh, so that was the plan, which okay. she lays out. Okay, uh, and then she's about to like let go of Deborah Carl Unger and let her plummet to her death, but then Forsyth shows up, saves the day, saves the day. <laughs> but what's funny is he shoots Lily Sobieski. This part is funny. <laughs> And then, like, obviously, Lily Sobieski, like, drops the rope or whatever, which uh-huh. is going to let Deborah Carr Unger, like, die. Mm-hmm. Because she's just going to fall, like, down several stories. And then, so Pacino, like, runs up and, like, catches the rope and is, like, holding on. Mm-hmm. But it, but it, all of this time, like, Forsyth is just kind of standing here <laughs> on the other side watching this. And it takes him, like... I don't know, a full, like, 30 seconds to a minute to, like, run mm-hmm. around to the other side of the, the building. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and then then he saves him, and... And that's... Oh, well, then Lily Sobieski's phone rings. Oh, right, and yeah. It's Neil, Mc- it's Neil McDonough. Donna, and right. he's like, hello, hello, my angel, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Really going for it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. As he, was, as he does. Yeah, he was like, is the job done? And then Pacino... Oh, she can make it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's indisposed. <laughs> he, he's, he's got kind of a funny line delivery there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then... Uh, oh, no, she's dead. <laughs> I don't know who that Sounds was. a little Southern. <laughs> yeah. She, well, she, she's, she's dead, sir. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um uh yeah, and she he uh, Pacino explains to Neil McDonough that his plan has been foiled. And uh then he for some reason just throws his phone into a void. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just throws his phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's her phone. Yeah, oh, that's right. It's her phone. Yeah. But like you would think like um they might need that for evidence or something. Yeah. <laughs> but uh and uh, that's it, right? Like, oh, uh, in that scene where Pacino shows up, uh, to see that Lily Sobieski is the killer, she, she tries to get him to confess that he is actually the Seattle Yeah, that was what I, yeah. Uh, and she records that confession. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, he, uh, he pockets the tape recorder, right? Right. Yeah. And then she get, he gets, like, a knowing glance from Alicia Witt. Yeah. And then that's the end. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, let's wrap. Well, let's wrap up 80 minutes. I don't know. There's, there's not too much more we can say. I mean, no. we can give our final thoughts, grades, and we'll go over the box <laughs> office and, uh, and the Rotten Tomatoes and stuff, just because that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, F for me. 
F for sure. This is an awful movie. But I say that it's an F asterisk for me because uh-huh. I think there's a lot worse ways you can kill a couple hours than watching this extremely stupid convoluted movie. Yeah. Um, convoluted indeed. It's extremely convoluted. Every, every step of the way. And like most of the stuff that it sets up as potential plot points never happens. So you're just constantly being thrown all of these misdirects yeah. that none of them matter except for one. And it's yeah. like, okay. Uh, and at some point, like you have to know, like, well, obviously not all of this is going to come into play yeah. at the end of the movie. <laughs> and then, like, none of it comes into play at all. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that Guy LaForge is not the real killer. Oh, man. Guy LaForge. Okay. We didn't, we didn't really touch on this. Mm-hmm. Why is his name Guy LaForge? So, <laughs> this makes no sense, but they say he's, like, an English rocker. Yeah, he, he, like, it would make more sense. French name. It would make sense if his name was, like, Tommy or Nigel something. Or, like, Vinny. Yeah. Some, some very, like, English sounding name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, they, they say he's, like, an English rock star or something. Uh, which I guess explains the leathers. Uh, But his name is Guy LaForge. He's got a French name. Like, why not just make him French? Or even just, like, say that his name's Guy. Like, oh, yeah, Yeah. that's my old boyfriend, Guy. But she insists on saying his full name, which is Guy. (laughs) Which is Guy LaForge. Yeah. Uh, Uh, I guess of note, maybe not to you, because you never have seen any of it, but... uh, The guy that plays Guy LaForge is uh, Stephen Moyer. He's an English actor from who played uh, the main character. Well, not the main character, but like one of the two main love interests on True Blood. Yeah, he played like Bill the Vampire, uh, which that's an extremely silly show, uh, which I'm sure is even cornier now. uh, Not in like 2008 or whatever, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, he's that guy. So, if you've seen that show, that's that's Guy LaForge. Yeah. All right. Well, para Fs, para Fs for yeah for eighty eight minutes. Um, but you should you should watch it if yeah yeah we watched this on Tubi with commercials. So <laughs> added a little bit, but you know, better than paying for it. I'll say yeah. Um. Okay. Well. This movie cost an estimated thirty million dollars, hmm. and uh, well, most of that was probably for Pacino, right? Yeah, I feel like Pacino is probably like two thirds of that almost. Yeah. Um, it did not do well. <laughs> mm. Its opening weekend was about six point nine million, uh, and then it went on to gross seventeen million here in the states. So it didn't mm. make its money back here in the states. Ah. It squeaked uh, to $32.5 million worldwide. Yeah. So it just barely made its budget back. Uh, let me see what else was at the box office that weekend. 2008, not a great year. No. Okay. So this came out April 18th, mm-hmm. 2008. And it opened at number four, actually. Uh, so... Despite only making six point nine million, 
Uh, it still came in fourth. It doesn't look like this was a huge movie-going weekend. I guess April's kind of a weird time. Yeah. You get some, some of the pre-block, but summer blockbusters occasionally. Yeah. But uh, other new movies that we... Number one was The Forbidden Kingdom. Wow. Yeah, which I would not have guessed would have been number one. That's yeah. the uh, Jackie Chan... It's like Jet Li also in that movie. Uh, like Jet Li, Jackie Chan, and uh, Michael Angarano. That's that's right. That was a terrible movie. We mm-hmm. saw it in the theater. Yeah. Um, number two, this is what I would have guessed would have been number one. Uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall also came out that weekend. Yeah, I guess that would have been that time. That made $17 million. And then number three <laughs> was Prom Night, the remake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Idris Elba. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, Brittany oh. Snow. <laughs> yeah, Brittany Snow. I remember that. Uh, also in the top ten, number five was Nims Island. Uh, uh, that was a fantasy thing. I don't really remember I that. barely remember what that yeah. movie even is. Uh, number six, 21. The oh, the card counting movie. movie, yeah. Yeah, with uh, Spacey. Spacey. Uh, <laughs> Jim Sturgis. Now, this, this is interesting. Number seven is a movie that is very bad. It's been out a couple of weeks at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but you and I have a unique story with this movie. We saw ah. this movie at a test screening. Oh, I know what this movie is. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Okay. So, this movie is... Street Kings. That's right. It's Street Kings. Street Kings is uh, a David Ayer movie, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's like David who, Ayer... Who wrote, like, Training Day. Yeah. Guy pretty much only writes, like, corrupt or, like, some corrupt cop. <laughs> yeah. LAPDs. Like, yeah, like, like LA, LA cop movies. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes James Elroy is involved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, he just he just minds LAPD stuff. Uh, this one had Keanu Reeves. It's very bad. Um, but do you want to tell the story about the or our connection to? Yeah. Uh, so we saw this at a, a test screening, probably like uh, I don't know. What would you say? Like five months before it came out, or yeah. So this would probably would have been like late 2007. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And uh, at this point, the the movie was called The Night Watchman. That was the working title. That's right. And uh, at test screenings, yeah. So at test screenings after the movie's over, they hand out these questionnaires and you can, you know, answer questions about the movie and give your thoughts. And you can... Most of the time, ours, or at least mine, were always pretty un- unhelpful. Yeah. I just tend, like, because a lot of the movies that we saw at test screenings, because we, we used to go to a lot of test screenings. Yeah. A lot of them were just really bad movies. And I would just. For write, the most part. I would just write, like, oh, this is dog shit or whatever. <laughs> and then some poor person has to, like, comb through all of that later. And it's just me saying, don't release this. Yeah. Or whatever. Uh, like, I remember when we saw Deja Vu at a test screening, I remember just writing, uh, like, uh, Bruce Greenwood rules, like, on my questionnaire. That was my only feedback. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's an example of how unhelpful we were f- with these questionnaires. But, yeah, so usually these 
surveys will ask you like, oh, what did you think of the beginning of the movie, the middle, the end? How did you think this actor was? So they can kind of gauge if there's anything they need to cut or change or... Or even just like promote. Yeah, or or if they think something needs to be uh, changed to promote the movie better. And one of the questions on the questionnaire was... uh, can you think of a different title that would work better for the movie? And there was like a list of potential titles that the movie uh, could also have. And one of the options was street Kings, which if you watch this movie, that's a bad title for that movie (laughs) because it really doesn't like make sense. If if you think that the, the word street kings are somehow referenced or whatever, mm-hmm. or you'll you'll understand it better yeah. having seen it. You won't. It, it's just kind of a uh, it's about gangs in L.A. and yeah, and dirty cops. Kings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, we saw street kings on the list of options, and we were like, oh, let's let's circle street kings. Maybe we could this, get this movie called Street Kings. <laughs> and we told uh, like. There were other people in our aisle, right, that were thinking about it. And we were like, oh, we should, you should circle Street Kings. And then, I don't know, I, maybe I'm misremembering it, but I feel like there were a bunch of people in the theater that started to hear that we were talking about calling, <laughs> choosing Street Kings. And they also chose Street Kings. Yeah. And then later on, we saw that the movie got called Street Kings. So we may or may not have influenced the the name Street Kings. I'd like to think that we're responsible uh, it's more for, fun, yeah. for the movie Street Kings being called Street Kings. Right. Yeah. And now David Ayer is going to hear this. He's going to be pissed <laughs> yeah. because nobody saw that movie. <laughs> He's like, these two guys? <laughs> uh, also in the top ten, just rounding it out, Horton Hears a Who in its sixth week is at number eight. Uh, you've got Leatherheads hanging around, the George yeah. Clooney, like, old football movie. <laughs> and then number 10, the last, like, new thing on the list uh, is the uh, Ben Stein uh, anti-evolution uh, documentary or whatever, Expelled. <laughs> okay. Or it's about, like... Campus culture yeah. or whatever. I don't really remember what that was. I didn't see it, but <laughs> no, never. I didn't, yeah, ben, didn't want to. Ben Stein was just like the the guy from Ferris Bueller, and then the guy in the Visine ads, and then huh. we found out like around this time that he was like a creationist and yeah. also like <laughs> like this uh, conservative sort of Fox News guy. Guy, yeah, yeah. So. That movie came out. Of course, never saw it, but um, that was number 10. So that was the box office. Now, what do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? Or uh, what it's at right now, at least. Well, I will say I didn't I didn't look this up. I didn't look at this recently. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to guess very low. Uh, obviously. Prediction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. I'll say 9%. Uh, you might have been too... No, not you might have been. You were too generous, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, this was at 5%. <laughs> and that's with 124 reviews. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> that's very bad. 
Um, a well-deserved 5%. A true stinker. Now, just a bonus, just because I've got it right mm-hmm. here. Yeah. What do you think Righteous Kill, which is the next year, <clears throat> right? 2009 that movie yeah. came out. Uh, and that same director, Pacino's back in it with Robert De Niro this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think that's at? Um, I'm trying to debate whether I think that it was better or worse, <laughs> more well-reviewed or less well-reviewed. I'm going to say maybe slightly more. I'll say nine for that one again. Uh, no, that one got slightly better reviews. It's at 18%. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... Pretty bad, but... Uh, that movie's dog shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I can honestly say that I'm not compelled to watch that movie, but I've always sort of thought that 88 Minutes, like, as bad as it looked, seemed like it might be fun, and it was, even if it was yeah, every bit as bad as I always assumed it would be. Uh, and then, last but not least, the meta score from Metacritic for 88 Minutes. What do you think it's at? Uh, <laughs> 3%. So, the meta score is out of 100. Uh-huh. It's it's just kind of the average, yeah. like, quality of the, the reviews. Of the reviews, right. yeah. Uh, no, it's actually a bit higher. I mean, I think... I guess it would be, three, yeah. Three would be, like, everyone hated it. Yeah, if everyone zero. hated it. Um, uh, no, it's, it's at 17. Oh, 17 that makes more sense. Which is yeah. extremely low. That's among the lowest I've ever seen on Metacritic. Yeah. Um, bad movie. Bad movie, but honestly... Yeah. You could, you could have a worse time. I had fun watching it. I had fun watching it. Yeah. I just want talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 88 Minutes, not a movie from 2002, which is what this show is about. Right. I don't even know if I'm going to, like, give this one an episode number or if I'm just going to say bonus and then 88 Minutes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe bonus. Right. Uh, but I guess a way that we could tie it in is that this this is a movie that... Pacino did uh, just, what, a few years after Insomnia and Simone, mm-hmm. which is which are movies that we're going to be talking about. Right, right. On this show. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the end of Pacino, the sort of respected actor. <laughs> yeah. Is 2002, because at that, at, after that, it's... It's a lot more schlock like this. Yeah. Like, you've got this, you've got Righteous Kill, you've got his Jack and Jill, the mm-hmm. Adam Sandler stuff in there. Yeah. Um, uh, so, in between, uh, like, Simone and this, I'm trying to think what we got. We got, like, uh, Two for the Money. hmm And I can't really think of what else. So... After, so, 2002, he's in three things. Mm-hmm. The two we mentioned, and then also uh, People I Know. Oh, right. We could talk about that if you want. Uh, yeah, I'm looking to see when that actually... That didn't actually come out until 2003, though. Okay. So that, That's yeah, with, like, Ryan O'Neill. 
Yeah. Yeah. That came out April 2003. So you got that in 2003. That movie, I think, had some fans. Yeah. I, I think I think yeah. Ebert liked it. Yeah. Um, that's, like, kind of a serious movie. But also yeah. in 2003, he's in The Recruit, mm. the Kurt Wimmer movie. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Wimmer is the... Uh, writer of that, and he's also the writer and director of Equilibrium, which mm-hmm. we will talk about on this show. Yeah. Uh, that's the Colin Farrell, like, CIA movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen it. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Bad? Yep. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> uh, also in 2003, bad year for him, I guess, because he's in Geely, uh-huh. which is... I don't think he has a very big part in that. I've, I've never actually pretty, seen Pretty small movie. part, yeah. yeah. If I remember right, he just shows up towards the end of the movie. Right. Uh, I saw that in theaters. Right. Same day as uh, Spy Kids 3. And that one was made by Martin Brest, right? Who yeah. worked with, like, Son of a Woman. And yeah. Also Mar- the guy who did, like, Beverly Hills Cop and mm-hmm. Midnight Run. And uh, Meet Joe Black. Meet Joe Black. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good one. Marty Brest. <laughs> Marty Brest. Um, 2003, he also... Uh, this is kind of a turning point for him, I think, a little bit, because he becomes a lot more open to doing TV at this point, because mm. it's his first HBO thing where he did Angels in America. Yeah. Which, didn't he get, like, nominated for, like, an Emmy? Or didn't he win an Emmy for that? Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, I, re- I think I actually yeah. remember his speech now <laughs> okay. that I think about it. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. And then he would just go on a run for kind of a long time, right, with these HBO Yeah, movies. he works in a lot of them. I mean, let's see. We'll go through. We'll, we'll just we'll just do the. Might as well. The Pacino filmography here. Um, after Angels in America, he does one kind of. At the time, I think it was pretty well reviewed mm-hmm. uh, thing, which is uh, Merchant of Venice, yeah. the Shakespeare movie. Mm-hmm. Kind of a weird choice for Pacino. Yeah, but eh, but I mean, it's only it's only really weird in the modern context of Pacino. Like if he did a Shakespeare movie, like in like nineteen seventy eight or whatever, you would think, mm-hmm. oh, it's just Pacino, <laughs> yeah. you know, the actor. But now you think of him as sort of this sort of guy that's just like very yeah. like big and yeah, like, ah. or maybe even like maybe even in the nineties, like right. right before Heat, maybe you're right, right. He yeah, Heat is a big that's a big one for him because the thing about this Heat character, which nobody really knows, uh, <laughs> you only know if you're like a nerd <laughs> yeah. uh, like us. <laughs> that character is. Supposed to be like on coke, the yeah. Whole movie, and then they just cut that subplot <laughs> yeah. from the movie, so that explains why Pacino acts that way. Yeah. But then Pacino just kind of applies that like style to mm-hmm. do a lot of his performances. Yeah, um, that he's chipping cocaine. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so you got two of the legendary mind. performance in Absolutely. Heat, by the way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. The great big ass. Oh man. Uh, 2005, he's in Two for the Money. Terrible film. That's the, like... Talons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that's something he says in the trailer. Um, <laughs> that's the sports agent uh, movie with Matthew McConaughey. I never saw it. I, I think you I saw, saw it. it. I did. I did. Yeah. I, I, was just, I remember seeing the trailer. I was just like, "What the fuck is this? Like, why? Why would I see this?" Yeah, at one point Pacino says, you can rip it from my talons. <laughs> Instead of talons, he says yeah. talons. Um, uh, 2000, uh, well, IMDb has this in 2007, 88 minutes, but we know it's 2008. Yeah. Um, 2007, he's in Ocean's 13. Oh, yeah. I guess that's kind of a fun performance. Yeah. He's all right. As, uh... Willie Bank. Willie Bank. Right. Yeah. He's a casino magnet. Mm-hmm. Um, 2008 is actually, that's his, that's his John Abnett double trouble because Righteous Kill also came out in 2008. I thought it came out in 2009. So I remember them coming out pretty close together. Yeah. And so within like, what, like five months, he was in two John Abnett movies? Yeah. That's weird. And, uh, the the production company that released those was the same, right? Millennium, yeah. Which I think also put out the movie Trader, Trader John yeah. Cheadle, because we a, had that coupon where you could. Yeah. You we could, got we got kicked out of the theater once we, for. We may have abused a coupon. <laughs> we we won't go into that. But, <laughs> I don't want to incriminate ourselves. Yeah, yeah. There was just this coupon where you could see. Uh, you could get into a free movie that was released by this studio, Millennium. And Let's just say I saw Bangkok Dangerous <laughs> on that company's dime. <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, Bangkok Dangerous was another movie that was <laughs> available with that promotion. Right. Yeah. Um, no, actually, I don't think it was. Oh no! Uh, oh no! We, we right. saw it. Maybe we should talk about this. Yeah, it's, I, who cares? Uh, <laughs> it's ten years ago. <laughs> I don't even go to that theater anymore, so... Uh, yeah, anyhow. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's got these two, 88 Minutes and Righteous Kill, same director, same year, 2008. He takes a couple years off. 2010, he's got the Jack Kevorkian HBO movie, which mm-hmm. is kind of... He does a few of those. Um, yeah. Shows up in The Son of No One, that Dio Montiel Channing Tatum yeah. movie, uh-huh. which I think is supposed to be pretty bad. Uh-huh. Uh, 2011, also, he's in Jack and Jill, uh-huh. which is, of course, kind of a famous, kind of famous, uh, not, it's not a cameo, he's in the movie, actually, playing himself. Um, but he's got the Dunkachino scene, which mm-hmm. scene I've made my friends, Andrew included, watch several times. Uh, actually, you know, I'm, don't get me wrong, Jack and Jill's a terrible movie, awful movie. But the Dunkachino thing is kind of funny because he's like in on the joke. Like, it's supposed to be bad because after the Dunkachino commercial, he's like, he's like, talking to his agent like why am i in this or whatever you know it's like it's supposed to be a bad thing his agent mm-hmm. is adam sandler um i've never seen jack and jill kind of subverts the pacino uh persona a little bit it's yeah. a little fun it's it's a little interesting 
the rest of the movie is absolutely awful, and it's, you know, it's Adam Sandler dual roles playing himself, or not himself, but playing a character. His sister, right. Also his sister, right. Yeah. So it's Adam Sandler in, in drag. Um, uh, 2012, something called Stand Up Guys with Christopher Walken, Alan Arkin. I don't remember uh, that. I remember this, yeah. Um... Oh, it's like a comedy yeah. crime movie. Yeah, it's like a mobster comedy. Like, kind of like a, an analyze this sort of a thing. Do you know who directed it? Oh, I... Probably uh, will not guess this. <laughs> can I have a hint? Uh, known for his acting. I didn't even know he directed anything. Oh, uh, no. It's probably not even enough of a hint. Um... <laughs> Trying to think, like, he's... One more hint, and I'll get it. <laughs> he's in Short Circuit and Hackers and oh, Super uh, Mario Brothers movie. Oh, yeah, uh, Fisher Stevens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, those are... That are, was a giveaway. Those are big hints, but, yeah, yeah uh, I had no idea. No, I also Stevens. didn't. I No, I had no idea that Fisher Stevens directed... Uh, Stand-Up Guys? Is that what that movie was called? <laughs> Stand-Up Guys, yeah. Uh, what, what was that other movie, like a mob comedy that... Uh, oh, I'm thinking The Family with De Niro. That was a little yeah, later. the Luke Besson one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Luke Besson produced. Okay. Um, he did something in 2013 also called uh, We Are Not Animals, which only 530 people have rated so i don't know if this like never got a release or what Mm -hmm. um john cusack co-wrote it Hmm. i don't know what it is cusack's in it pacino's in it a little bit um the phil Spector movie Mm -hmm. another hbo one yeah uh i I have not seen any of those no i haven't either the one i think i was like most tempted to to watch was the Phil Spector one, just because he's got, like, the big hair and yeah. stuff. Uh, a lot of funny pictures yeah. from that movie, if you ever feel like Googling it. There's one more he did after that, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll get to that here in a yeah. second. Uh, something in 2013, I don't remember this either, called Salome? 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 No. no, I have no idea. Salome, maybe. I don't know. It's he he directed it. Uh it looks like it was shot on like a sound stage almost. Okay. Uh written by Oscar Wilde. I don't I don't know what this uh, is. Oh. I think it's just a theatrical performance yeah, that was yeah. filmed. Right. Um uh, The Humbling. Do you no. do you know what that is? I don't know what that is either. That is he that is a comedy. It's a where he plays a stage actor who's slowly losing his mind, engages in a relationship with a sexually confused younger woman. So that sounds awful. Uh, Greta Gerwig's is uh, love interest. In what that. what year was this? This was twenty fourteen. Huh. Uh, Charles Grodin's in it, directed by Barry Levinson. Who directed, like, a few of those HBO movies. Yeah. This sounds like something I would have heard of or been aware of, but no, I don't 
know yeah. what that is. The it's, humbling. It's got a pretty good cast. Um, that's kind of a gross premise for a movie, but uh, mm-hmm. Pacino's in it. Uh, Greta Gerwig, Charles Grodin, uh, Dan Hedaya, who I always love, mm-hmm. Diane uh, Weist, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Billy Porter, Kara Sedgwick, mm, Dylan Baker. No, I've never, <laughs> yeah, never, never heard, heard of this, this movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know how good it is or how good it's supposed to be, but, uh, I mean, I assume it can't be that great if I've never heard yeah. anyone tell me I should watch it, but, uh, Manglehorns also, 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, I know that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I don't think that's a movie that has a ton of fondness, really. Um, something called Danny Collins. I don't know that, what yeah, a lot of That movie I remember. Okay. I, I hadn't seen it, but I remember that one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he's like a rock star? Yeah. yeah. I, I've seen the trailer. Okay. Uh, interesting. Directed by the This Is Us guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Misconduct, also in 2015. What's that? Which is uh, a movie with Josh Duhamel. And Anthony Hopkins. Sounds straight to video to me. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, I don't know, Lionsgate put it out. Um, but it looks like a straight to video kind of thing, or like a, like a Showtime drama. Yeah, the Josh Duhamel thing makes me, that's the factor (laughs) that makes me think straight to DVD. Extremely bad reviews on that one. Uh, (laughs) it's got a 24 Metascore, so better than 88 minutes. Uh, something called The Pirates of Somalia. Hmm. Uh, another thing I, I do not know. I don't think he's in, he's like top bill while I am DB, but he's like got an and Al Pacino in the credit, actual credits yeah. for the movie. So whatever that is, um, he's got Hangman. That was the movie that we saw on HBO Max. Uh-huh. That's another movie. Very bad reviews with Carl Urban also. Yeah. Uh, I, I might actually watch that before it leaves HBO Max. Uh, he's in Paterno, which is the last oh, right. of his uh, HBO. HBO movies. Paterno, yeah. He's got the, he's got the like, one-scene performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And then also The Irishman. He's good in that. It's Jimmy yeah. Hoffa. And, uh... That, uh, that brings us up to speed. Brings us up to speed theatrically. Yeah, he had that. Uh, he had that like Amazon Prime show he was on. Right. Too. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? Uh, Hunters. Uh, Hunters. Yeah. Hunters. Never saw that. Uh, and then also he's got something here from 2021, which uh, I hope he was paid well for this. Mm-hmm. It's called American Trader, The Trial of Axis Sally, based on a true story. And um, he is the only person in this movie that I think I know of, uh, at least on a quick glance here. Maybe the, I'm sure I would recognize maybe a couple of these people. But uh, this is on Prime Video. You can actually watch this, uh-huh. uh, starring Meadow Williams. 
don't know who that is. Very bad reviews, but check out this poster. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna include this with the episode post. Yeah. Uh, so Pacino. Pacino. Yeah. <clears throat> that's that's Pacino post 2002. Yeah. Um. Unceremonious for the most part. I would yeah. say 2019 was pretty good for him, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's a fun, fun performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he's really good in The Irishman. Yeah. For the most part, not a great... Not a great stretch for him. No. A lot of, a lot of stuff I hadn't seen. Yeah. Because I hadn't seen any of stuff I hadn't even heard of. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't realize how willing... He was yeah. to work for hire. Like, I kind of just thought, like, at this point in his career, he's kind of a guy that can yeah. just work when he really wants to, when the material's interesting or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, being in that weird Axis movie or whatever mm-hmm. from this year, that's that's strange. Because yeah. that looks very low budget. And it's like, yeah. do they pay him, like, a million dollars to show up for, like, a half day of shooting, probably? I'm assuming he can't be in very much of that movie. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's probably about it for this episode, right? Can you think, think of anything else to add? No. No, not really. Pacino's, Pacino's a fun actor. Even, yeah. Even when he's in bad overacting mode. Uh, yeah. On this show, we have not seen the last of Pacino. No. Because no. We'll, we've got one pretty good performance coming up. Yeah. And then... The and other movie, Simone. I, <laughs> yeah, the other movie I haven't seen since yeah. 2002. So a movie, I, uh, Simone's a movie I saw alone. I saw it by myself. Really? Because mm-hmm. I just wanted to see it. I mean, I there was a, a stretch when I was younger where I did not really enjoy seeing movies by myself. Mm-hmm. Like, not, It just felt like a very, I guess for me, like in high school and stuff, Going to the movies was a very social thing. Like, you go with your friends. Yeah. And that was, like, a fun thing that we could actually go do. Did cost a ton of money and also was something to do. Because mm-hmm. um, we weren't, like, party goers, really, or anything. Um, so, like, whenever I would see a movie by myself, I always kind of felt like a loser. <laughs> but now, like, as an adult, like, I see movies by myself all the time. And it's yeah. great. Like, and it, it's funny because, like, seeing a movie, you're sitting there in silence there's no reason for you to actually yeah. really have someone there with you but yeah. uh yeah 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 simone i was dropped off and i just saw it alone that's cool man <laughs> that's cool that's, it's a that's not a i mean it's not like bad for kids but it's also a movie that it's weird for like like a fourteen-year-old <laughs> to like be. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I think I think the only reason that was on my radar is because it was uh, directed by the Gattaca guy. Uh, yeah, it was directed by Andrew Nichol, who I think I was most familiar with because of the Truman Show, because I really loved the Truman mm, Show. That's right, you did. Yeah, and still love the Truman Show. I guess we can jump into the Truman Show when we get to the Simone episode. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's about it for 88 Minutes, so thank you for listening to this bonus episode. Uh, Uh, As of now, the only entry into 2008, a film odyssey. 
<laughs> yeah. Not sure we're gonna do any other 2008 movies, but you never know, I guess. No. I never would have guessed that we would do an episode on 88 minutes either. No, it's just something we we thought of, just because we had so much fun talking about this movie on the last on the Count of Monte Cristo episode. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, it's time for me to start dressing in my leathers so I can uh, head on out of here. Yeah. And we'll we'll see you uh, for next the, week. Yeah, next week for the big Kung Pao. Enter the fist. Enter the fist episode. Right. Which we have uh, have rewatched at this point. It's, we'll we'll get into it. The yeah, we'll, the deed is done. Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll talk about <laughs> it. We'll talk about it when the time comes. <laughs> if we have to. Yeah. Which we do. We'll see you next time for Kung Pao Under the Fist. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye, everybody.